2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. We've uh, we've been working through this letter for a while. Took a little break uh, for. Palm Sunday and Easter and stuff, and uh, we get back into it today. And uh, I have a lot of ground to cover, I think, so I'm just going to get right into it. That's all right. We're going to start in verse one. Um, we've all seen enough uh, movies and TV shows to know exactly what uh, what a con man is. And uh, in the the city of Corinth, uh, there were con men, so that's nothing new. Uh, it's not something created uh, recently or anything. And so, um, common, you know, find their way into different scenarios to try and get control or money or, you know, whatever. And so, uh, the, there was a church in Corinth that, um, the only Christian church in Corinth. And so, this letter was written to them. It was a series of letters written from Paul, who had come in um, and established the first church there, trained up the leaders spent a year and a half with them once they were ready, and when God told him to, he moved on to another place. And then he continued to kind of pastor them from afar because uh, Christianity was brand new at this point, really, and so um, everything was, was really new, and so it's not like he could go somewhere else and just kind of leave them, leave them be. Uh, he, so he kept up with them through personal contact, through letters, and uh, stuff like that. So this is one of the letters that we have, and he's addressing different issues that are there. Um, and one of the problems that had happened is after Paul had left, these con men had come in behind him and tried to take control of the church that had been established. And, um, and so he's getting to the part in the letter where he's, he's starting to hammer more and more on, on these guys and what they're saying and the role that they're playing and stuff. And we've seen him be really uh, gracious with them in a sense. He's been real careful uh, with his words so far. And here we see the personality of Paul coming out. Um, and it gets personal. And, and here's, why, here's where I think that, that connects. Um, if you are a parent and you find out that, um, you know, that there's, a, there's a kid at your kid's school um, who's bullying somebody else's kid, that's one thing. When you find out they're bullying your kid, it's, it's different. You get involved. And that's kind of what's happening here is he's, he's getting to the point where he's like, okay, it's, what they're doing is so personal that now it's time for me to get personal as well. And so uh, let's look at it a little bit. Chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Um, it says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. All right? What he's really saying is like, all right, I'm going to get a little bit ridiculous in this letter, but it's to prove a point. So just humor me, go along with it. Okay? Um, and we're not going to get to the really ridiculous stuff tonight. We'll save that for Mother's Day. Okay, Um, but uh, verse two, um, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. 
But I'm afraid that the serpent, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right? Now he connects two things. He connects, um, uh, there's wedding imagery, and then there's going back to Genesis 3. All right? um, the wedding imagery is, is basically like this. You, um, when a, when a, a man and a woman became engaged at this time, um, as soon as you were engaged, you were legally considered to be married. And so although, um, although like the wedding has not happened and, and all that, um, you were still considered to be married. And so once you were engaged, if you, if you broke the engagement, it was considered a divorce. Whereas nowadays, it's just, you know, inconvenient and sometimes the right thing to do. First couple I ever did marriage counseling with in my life called off the wedding the Monday before the marriage. My second, my second couple were Kenny and Megan Wall. And I said, y'all, I have a really bad average at this point. So I need y'all to hook me up. They're good to go. Um, so far, everything's been cool. But um, if you, uh, not only with them, I mean all the other ones too. Uh, so uh, nowadays you break an engagement, that's what it is. Back then it was considered a divorce. Um, during the engagement period, if, if you cheated on your fiancé, um, nowadays it's considered you know, bad taste or whatever. Uh, back then it was considered adultery. Like it was, all the legal stuff with marriage happened as soon as you were engaged. And so what Paul is saying is he's connecting to the imagery from the Old Testament and the New Testament that, uh, that as the church, we are, we're, like, we're like the bride. And Jesus is the groom. So Jesus was here. He uh, arranged the, the eventual um, like marriage, if you want to think of it, the wedding between Jesus and, and all of us. And um, that was arranged through the events of the cross. Um, he paid the price that had to be, you know, that was demanded in order for us to be bought back and for us to be one with him. And so now he has left to go and prepare uh, the place where we will live. And one day he will come and he will uh, call for us, his bride, and we will be joined together in what is um, compared to a wedding ceremony one day. And Jesus comes and fixes all this stuff. And we won't have to worry about tornadoes or uh, famine or AIDS or any, you know, like all these terrible things. Wherever he's just going to come and fix it all one day. And so what we're doing is we're in that waiting period. We're in that engagement period. And so Paul is, is referencing that. And, and so when he says, he says it's like I, I betrothed you to, to your groom, that's what he's saying. Paul comes into Corinth um, and introduces uh, these, these people to Christ for the first time and, and has them understand exactly what he has done. And, and so it is, like, it is like an engagement period for them. And so Paul looks at the church the way that a father would look at his daughter. He says, I have, um, I have protected you, I have provided for you to this point, and the wedding is coming and during this waiting period, until the wedding happens and the groom comes to get you, my job as a friend of the groom is to protect the bride, protect the, the faithfulness of the bride. And that's what, that's what dads did at that time. So at, the engagement would happen in the groom. He would go and he would begin to add a room onto his parents' like, house and stuff. And that would sometimes take, take months to prepare it and get it ready. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing now. And so Paul is saying, like, look, there's an engagement that I'm responsible for, and it is my duty as your father in the faith to um, preside over and protect your faithfulness and your devotion to Christ. 
to make sure that there is no adultery, um, that there's no divorce, that there are no issues, that you stay devoted to him. And look at, but look at verse, verse 3. It says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Like, I'm, I'm concerned about what is happening among you, what you are learning, that your thoughts are bringing you in the direction of infidelity, and adultery, and divorce. That you as an engaged group of people to Jesus are at risk by these, from these false teachers and these false ideas of that being compromised, just like Eve was in Genesis 3. So what he's saying, I mean, those are, that's a serious thing. We'll come back to that. Look at verse 4. It says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You've humored them long enough, is basically what he's saying. If these guys come in and they're preaching a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel, you've humored them enough. And that's got to stop. Now, it's interesting to me what he says uh, as far as, like, it being a different Jesus. Um, I don't know how common the name Jesus was or whatever. I don't know if that's what they're saying. Uh, and so I, I was doing a little bit of digging and stuff. And what, what would happen typically in first century Christian churches is that um, people saw Jesus. Now, the thing about this is first century, all right, but see how it connects to ours, whichever one ours is. Uh, the uh, 20-something, um, they saw Jesus as this, uh, this powerful figure who did these great things, worked these miracles, uh, was very inspirational, like very victorious, very, very whatever. Um, and so uh, people want to follow someone like that. And so they would come in. It's not like they would come in and say, let me tell you about another Jesus. They would just come in and they would, just, they would talk about that Jesus. I mean, it was Jesus of Nazareth, same dude. But they left out... Uh, sin, they left out the cross, they left out suffering, they left out humiliation, they left out, um, uh, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me, you know, like they left all that stuff out, they left out everything difficult, everything that would cost you anything, and it was just, it was just the happy parts about Jesus. Sound familiar? It's everywhere. Some of you are like, yeah, I know this preacher in this city, whatever, it's in our city. It's not that far away. And what Paul is saying is if someone comes to you and, he, and they present to you an incomplete picture of Jesus, they're giving you a different Jesus. Half of Jesus is not, is not Jesus. It's got to be the whole thing. It's got to be the entirety of Scripture. It has to be the tough stuff. It's people that they want Palm Sunday and they want Easter Sunday, but they don't want Passion Week. They don't want Good Friday. And the reason why that's so effective is because people like the happy stuff. They like feeling better. They like, it's therapeutic. It's, um, it's like, man, I, I feel better about myself when I hear like, these things about Jesus healing people and taking care of people and all that. And the, like, that's really good and it's cathartic and, and all that. And that preaches so well. Because people like that, and they're like, tell me more. And they're like, okay, okay, you start telling them more. And as soon as you're like, yeah, and it's all because of sin that has had to happen. Like, what are you saying? And so it preaches really well, and it gets people in the room, and it gets people giving, and it gets 
because more people know this, right? We need to do this, and it gets people giving, and it generates these empire churches. And that's not me saying big buildings are bad, big churches are bad, or whatever. It's the content. Like it, it's all about the content, and that's what he's coming down to. He's like, it's, Paul's not saying, well, yeah, these guys are they're like they're in my territory, y'all are my people, and they're messing up, whatever. He's like, no, no, no. The content that they are bringing you is a different Jesus, and what they're bringing you drawing you away and your thoughts away from your pure and sincere devotion to Christ. Different Jesus. And so for us, like we have to pay attention to that. And then he says, says a different Jesus. Let me find it. Where'd he go? All right. Another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received. Um, a part of what they would talk about was, it's here's Jesus, here's all the happy stuff about Jesus. And then here's like this independent human spirit that they would appeal to. Just like, and you can do, I mean, Jesus, like, like he will help you do this, but you can do this. There was no reliance on, on the Holy Spirit. There was no abiding. There was no, um, no need for God. It was all about, come on, you, you, can, you can do this. Dig really deep within yourself, and you can make this happen. You can have this really happy life. You can, um, like, you can it, can, it can be there. You can be like him. You can imitate him. And it's the same thing. It, it had nothing to do with, I, you need the, Jesus died for you, and now his spirit lives inside of you, and that's what you depend on. That's, what you, that's why we abide. That's, he's the vine, you're the branches. None of that was a part of it. It was just about, look, look at yourself. Look how awesome you are and all this kind of stuff. And honestly, like I know I joke sometimes about Oprah, but it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's, it's that kind of stuff. It's not the spirit of God. It's the spirit of man. So they're bringing a different Jesus with a different spirit and then just a different gospel. If, if, you're, getting, if you're only getting half the story, if you're only getting 95% of the story, it's still different. It's still not correct. And so I think for, for us, you bring it into our day and age, our day and age we, we don't have traveling salesmen. Okay, some dude doesn't hop off a train and walk in here with a suitcase and like want to like take over our church. Like, that's, that's not going to happen to us. That's not the kind of thinking that's going to infiltrate us. What will infiltrate us is how incredibly um, accessible teaching is now. I mean, with with books, with podcasts, with um, you know Kindles, and with all this stuff, there are there are just the the possibilities are endless the teaching that you can sit under. And we have got to be incredibly discerning about what we're listening to, about what we're reading, about what we're filling our minds with. I don't have a list of authors. I'm not here to pick on anybody or whatever. Um, but let me, let me just bring this as a current example. Uh, Rob Bell wrote this book and presented these different issues about hell, and everybody got all in uproar about it. Everybody. And I'll be the first to admit uh, that in my opinion, it has been the most embarrassing and mishandled thing I've seen in Christianity, uh, well, since the last embarrassing and poorly handled thing that happened in Christianity. But uh, it's just put us on display as just like a bunch of like whiny baby like dummies who don't really know what we think, and this guy's challenging us and all this kind of stuff, whatever. Um, and I, I haven't read the book. I don't, you know, whatever. I'm not here to make a statement on the book or him or whatever. But that dude... Um, was demonized by some folks. Um, 
I don't think that that was the original intent from people who were alarmed at what he was saying. I think what initially, like, like in, the, in the good parts of the people who were writing the blogs and making these statements and putting up these tweets and all this kind of stuff, being like, we need to be careful about this book, was because, um, was because it's, it's a different gospel according to what they believe the gospel was. And so I think their hearts were good. They were like, hey, this is a popular author. A lot of people are going to read this. This, not that this, the fear wasn't, this challenges Orthodox Christian views of hell. I think their real concern was the fact that this might threaten people's devotion to Christ. And so we need to put this on people's radar and be like, hey, I know you've read a lot of this guy's stuff and and all this, and he's been used by the Lord and all this kind of stuff, but but this this one might be dangerous for you. Be really careful. The problem is that um, the way stuff like that comes across is it comes across as these like control, it's like a control freak issue. So if I had gotten up the day after the book, the first like thing was released and been like, look, whatever you do, y'all don't be reading that Rob Bell book. What that tells me is that I don't trust your discipleship enough for you to take that book and read it and be able to filter it. But I will, I will say this. You need to be careful if you read Rob Bell's book. You need to be careful if you read Tim Keller's book. You need to be careful if you read John Piper's book. And you put anybody in there, and the, most, the people I trust so much in liberal streams and conservative streams, whatever, it's got to be filtered no matter what. And that's really what Paul's saying. I think that's what, that was what was driving the controversy was at heart. It was like, a, like this might, this might um, be used by the enemy to hijack people's thoughts and their devotion to Christ. I really think that that was at the core of the, of the concern. It just got all like crazy and twisted and stupid and embarrassing. I think the takeaway for, for us, and I bring it, try to bring it back around, is we just got to be careful. If you're reading some book and some dude like, presents a really, really convincing argument to you, that Jesus was probably an alien. Um, I trust that if you're a part of this church, that your discipleship, that you'll know, like, close the book. Or read the book and be like, man, this, this is hilarious. You know, whatever. I don't think that that is really going to, like, send you spiraling and be like, Jesus might have been an alien. I, no, no, I don't think so. Why? Because I, because I, feel, like, I feel like we've done a good job of, of teaching, like, what the, who what the scriptures say about Jesus and about God and all that kind of stuff. And so you want to read Rob Bell? Read it. I'm just saying, filter it. Anything you read, filter it. Anything that I say, filter it. Every, everything that comes out of my mouth, it needs to come back to here. And if it doesn't and you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. If it consistently doesn't and you talk to me and that doesn't do any good, talk to the elders. And we have a whole system set up or whatever. But that's what, that's what Paul's going for. Is he's like, beware of people teaching an incomplete um, gospel, an incomplete understanding of Jesus and the Spirit. Because if it's incomplete, it's completely different. It's really important. All right, next, next couple of verses. Um, it says, indeed, verse 5, indeed I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. That's hilarious to me. He calls them super apostles. Because they had come into town, and they had these, these letters of recommendation that all their friends had written for them. And they roll into town, and they say, we are here, and we are apostles, 
and we, um, we have heard that you've been misled by, this, by Paul, and if you knew his background, you wouldn't even listen to him, and uh, he his, does nothing but get in trouble, which means that he must not be from God. Um, he, he suffers constantly, which means he is missing God's blessing. Um, he he had, makes all these claims. Uh, he's, not, he's not even a good speaker. Um, he's just not eloquent, and if he were really from God, he would be eloquent like we are. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't ask you for money. He doesn't ask you to support him. Um, which proves that he must be up. To, he must be up to something. Like that's not that's not normal. Um, he wouldn't. You know, there, there's something else going on here. And they came in and they had this really good like spiel that was there as con men, and they were trying to take things over. And Paul's like, uh, yeah, well, uh, okay, all right. They're super apostles. I'm just an apostle. They're varsity. I'm JV. Uh, I'm okay with that. It's fine. That's the foolishness he's getting into. He's like, okay, let's sort of sort of make fun of them a little bit. It'll be okay. Uh, verse 6, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we've made this plain to you in all things. He's like, okay, guess what? I'm not eloquent, but I know my stuff. The content of what I'm telling you is right. Who cares if I'm a good speaker? It doesn't matter. As long as what I'm telling you is the truth. That's what I'm, that's what I'm like, trying to bring all this around to. Is it's, it's about the content. It's about content. Look at the next thing. This is, he gets into the, the fact that they were like, yeah, he doesn't even ask for money from you. What's up with that? Nobody does that. Uh, or, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might um, be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. That's what they, that's what they said. They found out that he was... He had money from other churches that were going to meet his needs. They're like, oh, he probably stole it from them. That's how stupid these guys were. Oh, yeah, he probably stole it. He's like, okay, yeah, I robbed them, totally. I'm here to rob you. Verse 9, when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this... This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. This is what he's saying. Uh, and this is like, this is what, when the Spirit of God is just cool. Um, knowing that these dudes were coming, the Spirit of God uh, led him to, uh, to talk to churches in these other places and to, to ask them, like, hey, I'm going to this place and... Um, I'm going to need my, like, my needs, my financial needs, like to eat and for shelter and stuff like that, to not come from them, but to come from, from you. So would you financially send me on this mission? And so uh, when he goes and he gets there and uh, these guys come later on, what, what actually happened when you look at the sovereignty of the whole thing is he distinguished himself from them. Like the Spirit of God had him, had him go in not needing anything financially so that he could say, I didn't ask for a dime from you. These jokers come in, and they've, that's all they've done is try to get money from you. And to know that there's, there's sovereignty, there's a plan, there's integrity in the fact that I've not asked you for anything, that when I have needs, God meets it from other, other places. He's working really hard to separate himself because those super apostles that came in, they claimed that they were like of the same mission as Paul. They were like, we're just like him except we're the real deal, and he's kind of not. Paul's saying, no, 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 I will not be grouped with them. Look at the difference. And then he really tears into them here. Look at verse 12. 
And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves, themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You think he's making his point? Like, yeah, these guys are, like, on Satan's payroll. Now, I, I don't know. That's a pretty intense language. And that's, a, that's a pretty pretty strong way to describe these con men who would come in, these super apostles, saying they are 100% bad news. And the truth is that that happens all the time. Like you think about think about the, the church baggage that you have. I know everybody doesn't come from a church background, and that's awesome. But if you do, think about the baggage that has come from, from your church experience, from just bad preachers, bad pastors, bad youth ministers, bad Sunday school teachers. You don't think that there's an element of like, of the enemy trying to frustrate the work of Christ in that? I'm not saying, like, if you had a pastor who stole money from the church and now he's in prison, I'm not saying that dude is a demon. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, yeah, that, that dude, that dude who, who made those bad decisions, who was in need of Christ's transformation in his life, um, his actions are used by the enemy to turn you off completely from Christianity, from Jesus, from the gospel, from whatever. Make you think, yeah, all preachers are the same. The truth is, there's some folks in this room that are incredibly wounded because you really trusted someone who led you spiritually as a pastor or a youth minister or something like that, and at some point, they dropped the ball in life. And it shattered you. And Satan has used that. He's used that wound, and he's poured salt in that thing, and he's just made sure that that hurt has kept you hurting all these years. And Jesus wants to heal that. Like, he, he wants that, that to stop being a wound and start being a scar. One that says, yeah, I went through this. I mean, you guys know, like, if... If you, know, if you know our story in the church we came out of, um, in the year before we planted, I saw the most like, evil things I've seen with, within a church body. Just incredible, incredibly, like, just evil things being done by people who have just not transformed into, into Christ-likeness and weren't pursuing it and didn't really care. And I was, like, because I was on staff, like, I was kind of in... I kind of got some behind-the-scenes looks at stuff and found out things I didn't want to know um, that had been done to, you know, in response. And it was just, just stupid. And honestly, I, I keep waiting for that baggage to show up, you know? For that wound, like, I just keep waiting for one day to be like, church people are the worst. And I remember thinking it then. I remember, of course, I knew where we were going as the ring. I was like, we ain't never doing that. I keep, I keep waiting because 
Um, every church experience I've ever had up until this one has been nothing but pain for the, the, the ministers who were on staff and stuff. And it wasn't too long into it when I feel like God was just like, the stuff you've been through, that's what you've been through. Jesus died for that stuff. Where y'all are going, it doesn't have to be full of pain. Why, why should it be? So we have to be aware of the fact that we have an enemy who wants to use every little thing to try and divide. Not just divide us from each other, divide us and Christ. Make us second-guess everything and make us just follow these terrible paths of thinking. I'm not saying we do everything right. I mean, we mess up all the time. But we strive for it. I mean, one of the scariest things at all is, to me, is just the fact of what I just said. How many people have church baggage because of bad leadership? And now I'm in church leadership. And I don't want all those kids in the nursery to grow up and one day be like, man, that dude was a fraud. And so I can either like sit here and be terrified of that and never do anything, and just appease everybody and that just whatever, or I can let the Lord be like, this is my church, not your church. Other people have messed up. Um, there are ministers who made bad decisions. There are church people that have been terrible. There been, uh, that stuff has happened and whatever. That has, nothing, that has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. It's my church. I'm in charge of it. Not you. Not the elders. Not the community group leaders. Not anybody. I'm, my church. I'm in charge. You listen to me and we're going to be fine. We have to be aware of something. The enemy wants to use stuff. Here in, the, in their church, he's using these false apostles to draw them away from Christ. He wants to use stuff among us. If we are not prayerful, if we do not communicate with each other, if we are not gracious, if we are not merciful, if we're not loving, if we are not abiding, then those attacks are going to be effective. And there have been some times where we've, we've hit some rough spots as a church, and you could see him at work. And I think that... Um, because, because God illuminated the situation, we're like, oh, there he is. He's trying to divide us. Little tiny feet. But the truth is, it's not rough patches. It's, it's constant for us. I mean, and I know that right, I mean, right now, in, in this moment, there's, he's trying to do that. That's how he works. He wants to draw us away. So go back to... Um, Go back to verse 3. Let me, let me close with this. I'm going to try to close quickly. And I promise y'all, I always plan like a 20-minute thing up here. And it doubles. I believe in the Bible because there's, there's a lot in there. <laughs> a lot, of, lot to talk about. It says, but I'm afraid um, as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. All right, we're going to leave that verse up there. Um, when That's what's driving Paul, okay? It's not control, it's not fear, it's not jealousy of these super apostles. He's like, look, what they're saying is threatening your faithfulness to Christ. Not threatening Christ's faithfulness to you. That's, that's done. That's a given. It's threatening your faithfulness to Christ. And that is, that's why he writes everything else in, in this chapter. And he finishes out the letter. 
Is that because that, that is worth fighting for. As a friend of the groom, as a protector of the bride, I will fight anything that is threatening that pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And so, what, what, is, it, what is it for us? What is it, what is it for you? What, like, notice it says, uh, your thoughts will be led astray from that. It's not a heart issue, it's a mind issue. So our thoughts being led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, what, what is it? I'll tell, you, I'll tell you three things really quickly that I, that I see a lot and hear a lot in my life, in your lives, and you know, just in community together. Uh, one of them is, is a hurry. I mean, we're, we're so hurried. Um, I think it's John Orberg talks about the difference between being busy and being hurried. We're all busy. Jesus was busy, um, but he never hurried. Sometimes the hurry of life, the, just the fast-pacedness, the schedule, the packed weekends, the packed nights, the packed everything, um, it, can, it can bring our thoughts away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ very easily. Because you know as well as I do, what's, what's the first thing that's going to go? Going to be him. it's going to be him, and not him as a concept, but him as a practical like today, him as in like time in the scriptures, time. And I know like pray without ceasing. I understand praying throughout the day. I get that, but I'm talking about like focused time that that the hurry of life often often causes us to kind of rearrange things. And I don't know that I would re that I I, I don't reorganize my schedule as a part of my devotion that is sincere and pure to Christ, um, the way that I need to. So I understand what he was saying. I just don't think he should have said it, but I understand what he's saying. But I think hurry is, is, an, is an enemy that takes our thoughts away. Another one is just, just pure idolatry. I mean, just purely like looking to something to fulfill us in a way that God um, designed us to be fulfilled by him. So it's, it's money, it's possessions, it's relationships, it's whatever. Just looking to something that's not him for joy, for security, for guidance, for comfort, for whatever. Um, the most appealing idol of all is you, is me. It's, it's self, which is, which is pride. But man, when you start to look to yourself or look to stuff like that, talk about thoughts going away from being devoted to Christ. I mean, he, it's, it's done. Um, the last one I think is, I don't know really how to describe it other than it's kind of a sliding scale of value, you know? Like, in, the, in this room, I mean, by the end of this night, man, I'm like, I'm like, I'm good to go. Like, I value Christ just, I mean, immensely when I'm with you, when I'm with, with my community group, when I'm experiencing community in different ways or whatever. But it kind of has a, has a fluctuating thing. Where, I don't know, maybe on like a Thursday afternoon, eh, I don't know. Maybe my value, maybe I'm valuing myself more in that time. Maybe I, I'm all about like, yeah, I, I want like Jesus to be first and others to be second, and I want to be third until it's like, you need me to help you move on a Saturday? Oh, you know, you want me to leave on a Sunday afternoon and go pick up these people down there and bring them to church and bring them back? Oh, did I just use a current example? Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Sliding scale of value. But I don't know what it is for you. And, and here's, here's the, the reality of, of 
why I need to stop talking is because as soon as I said, what is, uh, what is, what is leading your thoughts away from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ, you knew exactly what it was. Like immediately you knew in your life what that is. Let me close with this. Keep in mind that Jesus died for your infidelity. Like your unfaithfulness to Christ is covered by his blood already. He doesn't have to go be like, I gotta go to the cross again? What's wrong with you? No, it's done. And because it's done, there is no lag time between unfaithfulness and faithfulness. There's no like, okay, well, all right, I've been unfaithful, so let me like get my ducks in a row and kind of take care of some stuff, and then like I'm on, it's on, dude. We're abiding. It's good. I'm devoted. No, there is no lag time. It is instantaneous. That because he said it is finished, and because he rose again, you can be in this place where you're like, man, my thoughts have been completely not devoted to Christ. Now my thoughts are devoted to Christ. I've repented of that. I have turned from that, and now it's it's go time. Um, that can happen. You can. It can happen instantly because he died for you and for me. And so I don't know how that fits into your life, but I'm just going to trust that it does. Let, let's pray. Um, Jesus, we, we love you so much, and, um, and we want, like we really want that devotion. We want it to be, um, we want it to be pure. You know, we don't want it to have any sort of weird motive behind it or what's in it for us or anything like that. We want it to be sincere. You know, we don't want to be fake. We don't want to be, we don't have like imperfections in our, um, what's driving us. I mean, we, we want that devotion. We want to be like, like that engaged bride who just, who came and fathom unfaithfulness because of her love for a groom. We want to be that way with you where it just, it doesn't even make sense to us that we are 100% devoted but the truth is, we face obstacles, and you know what those are. And you, you died because you knew what the, those were. The, the price for those, every one of our infidelities was like put on you. The wrath of God came in onto you, and you absorbed it because of that. So I pray that that this that tonight would be um, would be that turning point. For us, recognizing that there isn't a lag time, there's no, um, there's no gap, there's no uh, list of things we have to do first. That it's a matter of repentance, like it's literally a matter of turning from, um, from those ways and turning toward you. And we realize that you are there, open armed. That, that is your desire. And you, you tell us just come just like you are. Um, you also tell us, don't plan to stay like you are. So we're just looking to you tonight. Um, I pray you show us all how to apply what we've been talking about. So I just just like everybody, just to spend a, f- a few, just a little bit of time with the Lord, see what he has to say to you about this. And then when we start singing, when Cody starts singing, just stand where you are and just just respond.